You know, the leisure, hospitality and leisure business seems to be coming back pretty strong. Hilton came with numbers uh, Wednesday morning. They said revenues per available room were actually better than they were back in 2019 before COVID. Locally, Ashford has lots of hotels, and Braemar is the high-end part of Ashford Hotels. Richard Stockton is the CEO of Braemar Hotels and Senior Managing Director for Ashford, which invests in stuff other than hotels. A man of many hats. He joins us right now. It's good to have you with us. Yeah, good to see you, David. Hey, let's talk talk about the uh, the uh, hospitality business first. And you've got, you know, really high-end Ritz-Carlton's and Hilton's and Marriott's and St. Thomas and, you know, San Juan. How's business? Is it back strong? Yeah, I'll tell you, we, we devised a strategy to invest in the highest quality hotels several years ago, only uh, making new acquisitions in the luxury segment. Because the luxury segment of the hotel industry has grown the fastest over the last 30 years in terms of red part versus the other chain scale segments. And that's because, you know, luxury hotels have higher barriers to entry. And so, you know, building new supply in our markets is more difficult, it takes more time, takes more money. It's generally more complex when it comes to uh, regulations. Right. And there's only a finite number of locations that can support luxury hotel rates. So uh, given that strategy, you know, coming out of COVID, uh, frankly, we flourished. Uh, we had our uh, luxury resorts bounce back uh, within really two, three months of the, the nadir of COVID and have continued to power forward and exceeded our 2019 pre-pandemic levels uh, well over a year ago. Oh, so you, you're way ahead of, ahead of them. So is this leisure travel or is this corporate travel that's coming back? Yeah, so our... our our portfolio is, has two components. We have luxury resorts on the one hand, and we also have upper upscale urban assets. Um, the luxury resorts have benefited from the rebound in leisure travel. Uh, now, what we've seen uh, year over year is that has stabilized and plateaued. Uh, so we're no longer growing in the luxury resort segment, but our business travel is, is continuing to bounce back. Group travel is bouncing back as conferences and and. Uh, meetings are being rescheduled, and uh, now these hotels are the ones that are outperforming. Wow, so you're perfectly positioned. Look, let's talk about your other hat, Senior Managing Director for Ashford. And I know you oversee, you're the fund manager for, for the Texas Strategic Growth Fund, and there you're investing in properties other than leisure properties. Tell me about that. Yeah, what we're trying to do with the, the TSGF, we call it, is capitalize on mass migration into Texas. And one of the trends that we've identified over the last couple of years is, and it's really accelerated because of COVID, is just purely uh, people, wealth, and corporations all moving to Texas. Uh, it's a function of uh, a more favorable uh, tax environment. It's a function of a, a pro-business climate generally. Uh, and you know maybe a little bit better weather. Uh, you know, Texas has great infrastructure continues to uh, generate job opportunities. And so the confluence of this migration to Texas is putting upward pressure on real estate values uh, in the form of higher rents and lower cap rates. And in a way that is really counteracting what we're seeing in the other parts of the country who are maybe you know, net losers of population. You know, the, the, the coastal cities such as uh, San Francisco in particular but also, you know, New York is, is giving us a lot of new uh, migrants, right. as well as uh, Illinois, you know, primarily from Chicago. 
And so we've we've set up a fund to capitalize on these trends, investing in real estate property types such as multifamily, uh, self storage, uh, perhaps some retail, uh, because these are the property types that are benefiting most uh, from these these migration trends. You know, I, I know you also serve on the on the Downtown Dallas Association and, and, and are involved in in the infrastructure. But one of the thing, one of the stories we've been following is this the, the movement to North Texas in particular. And and the projections are that by the end of this decade, this will be the third largest pop, concentration of population in the country. We'll pass Chicago. It'll be New York, L.A., and North Texas. And so it begs the the concern. What about the infrastructure? Are, are you convinced that that's there, that it's not going to turn against us because of roads or water or are other infrastructure problems? Yeah, you know, look, it's, it's certainly a valid concern. Uh, you know, there are definitely pinch points across Texas. You see them, uh, particularly in Austin, with its rapid pace of growth, uh, scrambling to kind of keep up. You know, we're in a fortunate position in Texas where we already have a very robust infrastructure in place. Uh, you know, there's, there's 26 commercial airports in Texas, 11 interstate highways, a uh, number of uh, seaports, almost two dozen. Uh, so we have a lot of existing infrastructure. It's in very good condition as well, if you're, particularly if you're talking about our roads. Uh, but there's no doubt that continued investment in infrastructure is going to be necessary. Uh, in, in terms of what we're doing specifically around downtown Dallas, is we have a couple of uh, ongoing projects being championed by the city to uh, deck over highways in order to create uh, more uh, parks and open spaces. So this is the, the, Clyde, the Clyde Warren model. Yeah, it's, the Clyde Warren model. Which certainly is, works. works. Very, very well. Exactly. So, uh, you know, and in, in recently there was uh, something called Prop A that was passed that you may have heard about, uh, which provided uh, $1.5 billion of funding for uh, the redevelopment of the convention center, as well as uh, renovation of Fair Park. And, you know, this project will actually create about 30 acres of additional land uh, in the downtown area that can be developed into parks, but also, you know, hotels and retail outlets and restaurants. And it would really give downtown more vibrance and, and nightlife as well. So it's uh, a lot of investment into into infrastructure, into real estate development and um hopefully making downtown a better place. You know, and, and watching downtown change, altered, I've been watching some of the Jonas Wood acquisitions and others, but yeah. but, but Bryan Tower, which is an office building I actually officed out of 30 or 40 years ago, uh, turning that into residential, seeing what uh, Todd's done with the, the, the old First National Bank building. Comerica is going to have mixed use. That's really going to change the nature of downtown even more. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, turning it from, you know, an eight or 12 hour city into a 24 hour city, right? One of the, the faults of, of urban planning over the last you know, 100 years is zoning in a way that just brings a single use to our downtowns, you know, particular office, uh, which is largely vacant at night. Uh, you know, we're, we're fortunate in, in Texas and in Dallas in particular to have your know, broader zoning laws that allow us to bring other uses. So, these conversion opportunities from office building to mixed use uh, will bring a lot more residents to downtown. You know, we already have 15,000 residents uh, living in downtown. And, you know, as that number increases, we'll continue to see that city turn into more of a 24 hour city. 
uh, where, you know, it doesn't empty out at night, uh, which has really been the problem with a lot of the other cities around the country. Um, and you'll continue to see restaurants and nightlife and, you know, all those things associated with residents, uh, hopefully more groceries as well, uh, to really, you know, and then that builds on that economy because of all yeah. the ancillary services and amenities that are required to support residential living. Uh, so it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, there's, there's concern about uh, offices, and we can talk about the office market. Uh, but the flip side is a, you know, lackening office demand is the opportunity to bring residential into the those same spaces. You know, it's interesting. We think of downtown because a lot of these office buildings were built, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But there are a lot of new ones that have been built in Legacy West or in Las Colinas that are probably going to have to, I guess, meet the same fate if, if indeed we don't have the office demand that we used to. You know, what tends to happen is when you have um, a contraction in office demand, uh, you know, obviously these, these office building owners get much more competitive. And that means that can mean dropping rates, but it also means offering a higher quality product. And therefore, yeah, I see a lot of the remaining office demand congregating around the newer buildings and into those more high quality spaces. And so the buildings that are really at risk are these older ones. And, you know, these older ones are the ones that uh, I think owners need to be looking at pretty hard for, you know, conversion opportunity, uh, you know, if not demolition. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if some of the older buildings that aren't protected, uh, hist- you know, as historical uh, landmarks yeah. uh, do come down. And, and sometimes, that has been the sort of Damocles hanging over the real estate market. We certainly saw it in the 80s with the multifamily when that was overbuilt. Uh, and it looked like the only way to get to fix it was to do some demolition, as painful as it was. It's a fascinating time to be doing what you're doing. And also, we congratulate you. I understand you're a finalist for Entrepreneur of the Year. So you wear many, many hats, and you must keep very busy. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I'm pretty excited about the Entrepreneur of the Year, um, you know, finalist designation. Uh, you know, I joined uh, Braemar Hotels and Resorts as CEO in 2016, and I saw it as a very entrepreneurial opportunity in that it was a, a, a very small, already public company uh, that I didn't feel like had a, a clear strategy. And so I was able to uh, run the slide rule over the company and, and figure out, the best possible strategy for it and, you know, have grown it from, you know, we had, uh, we had 11 hotels at the time to 16 and we brought our total revenue up from thereabouts 400 million to over $800 million uh, in that time. And so it's been very entrepreneurial, you know, in that sense and kind of taking something and then trying to bring it to the next level. Well, I'd say you're a, certainly a good candidate for that award. Richard Stockton, CEO of Braemar Hotels and Senior Managing Director for Ashford. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for the time. Thank you, David. Thanks Great for, to talk to you. For more of our conversation, go to krld.com slash CEO. I'm David Johnson, News Radio 1080 KRLD.